Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 91 of Hack to Start. This episode features Mark Gengra, an angel investor and the CEO of FOCO, a private photo sharing app for retail teams. Tyler and I wanted to invite Mark onto the show to share his story as an entrepreneur and angel investor. Mark has started and sold several companies over the years, including Tungle, a calendar sharing and scheduling application, which was acquired by Research in Motion in 2011. Mark has also been a venture capitalist and angel investor in several companies, including Foco, which he later joined as the CEO. Mark joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, advice for entrepreneurs who are looking to raise angel funding, how to build products in the B2B industry, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Mark. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, my pleasure. Let's kick things off by getting to know a bit more about you. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? That's a good question. So I'm from the Ottawa area uh, on the Quebec side, Gatineau. So I grew up here. I did my undergrad at uh, Ottawa U in mechanical engineering, then went on to do a master's at Waterloo. And that's where from there I did my first startup. So where did my passion for entrepreneurship? That's a good question. I think it has more to do with ego than with anything else. Uh, I remember being a co-op student and I remember while I was doing my master's, I couldn't see myself working for anyone else, mainly because I thought I was smarter than everybody, which I'm totally not. But being 21 at the time or 22, you think you know everything. Um, So I was like, oh no, I, I, I can do better than everybody else. And I think that was what prompted me to want to start my own business right out of my master's. In hindsight, I think I should have learned a lot more stuff, but uh, I think it was pure ego and carrying a a business card. That's awesome. So one of the first uh, startups that you co-founded was was GuyTech. So what was GuyTech and what was it like building your first startup? So when I finished my master's, I ended up working for a startup for about three months where it was a small startup of four or five people and it was during the beautiful dot com day. So we were, we were building an auction type of platform. And what I realized was after like a month or two in is like I was myself and one of the guys there, the, the developer guy, we were doing most of the work. So it was like, Oh, well, why are we doing this for someone else? So we decided to quit and join forces and start a company together. And I remember we didn't even know the difference between incorporated a company, registering a company. We just said, oh, let's start a company. So we went to the uh, government buildings and we went and registered a company knowing that we should have probably incorporated. But anyways, at the time we registered a company. And um, and then we did that. We went back into the living room of, of my partner, which is, by the way, he's still with me now. Like, so we did guy tech together. We did Tungle together and he's our CTO here at, at FOCO. Uh, so I remember being in his uh, living room and, uh, 
we looked at each other and it's like, now what are we supposed to do? We registered a company. And so he looked at me like, you're the business guy, go get business. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh, that's a good idea. That's novel. So I said, well, it might take me a while to get business. So why don't we get a job? At the same time, we got some jobs, but at the nights and weekends, we would work on trying to get companies or businesses to want to build e-commerce sites. And we would actually, it was more of a service company. Uh, so that what we ended up doing. So we got after like maybe six months at it, we got enough customers that it was paying for ourselves, we started to hire some few people. So we grew it to about, I don't know, 20 people, pure, you know, no financing it was purely you, you uh, eat what you kill type of business where you get contracts, you're building e-commerce sites for, for different companies. That's what the business was, building e-commerce sites for customers. That's awesome. And ultimately it was acquired. So what was that kind of process like for you? Yeah, it was interesting. So we were acquired by one of our customers. So what ended up happening was we had a company in, in the U.S. that was a customer of ours, which was a company called Entrade. Uh, and we had built a e-commerce platform for them. And, you know, during those dot-com days, everybody wanted to build portals and it was all measured on based on transactions and so on. So we had built the technology behind that. And what they realized was that, okay, well, this little team that's in, we were in Waterloo, by the way, uh, at the time, uh, this little team in Waterloo basically are holding the keys to their technology. So they said, well, why don't we, we uh, acquire you guys? And it made sense to us at the time. And so we sold. So we became basically the technology arm for that company in, in the US, which eventually went on the New York Stock Exchange and went up and then exploded during the bubble when the bubble bursted as well. Wow. What, what a bit of a ride. Yeah, it was, it was a very good learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, you actually then became an investment manager with Innova Tech in Montreal. So what was it like, you know, switching sides of the table and becoming an investor? Yeah, so just before that, though, so when, when everything exploded there, uh, I went and did my MBA. So I went to study in, in Europe at NCAD to do my MBA there. Uh, and then after that, you know, during that MBA, that's when I realized that I love entrepreneurship. I love technology. That's what I want to be doing. And so when I graduated from my MBA, I didn't have a killer idea for a startup. I, I just didn't have a good idea. Instead of that, I said, let, let me try to learn a lot more on the financing side of the business and at the same time be exposed to so many great ideas. And so that's why if you were a VC fund in Canada, you received my resume. Like I basically emailed all partners of all VC funds in Canada and actually got a job with Innovatech Montreal. That was such a great learning experience for me because Innovatech Montreal, which doesn't exist anymore, was a government funded fund, which means that because it was funded by the government, they couldn't pay a lot. So they didn't have like, you know, senior partners that actually had run businesses. You know, in a typical VC, you've got typically partners that, have had some successes and know what the hell they're doing uh, in terms of running businesses. In a government fund, it wasn't the case. So you got you had idiots like me that just graduated from the MBA actually doing investments and sitting on boards. And so I took on that opportunity to learn a lot. So I would sit on board not to give direction or anything. I would sit on board just to learn from the entrepreneurs. Uh, I would learn from other VCs that were around the table or other investors. And so that was a great learning experience for me. That's awesome. It does. It does sound uh, pretty amazing uh, in in terms of an opportunity to kind of absorb all that knowledge. Yeah, it was it was really amazing. So a few things that I learned. So I learned the mechanics of doing a funding uh, a, a financing round, and that's not hard to learn. But once you understand it, then you can go through fundraising the fundraising process pretty quickly if you understand it. But what's hard is once you've got money, or if you're looking to raise money. 
how do you build a business? And that's where I think I learned the most from successful and non-successful entrepreneurs, what creates companies to explode positively and negatively, right? So, uh, so those are all things that I've learned. And I think if I had one takeaway from my VC experience is that the number one reason a company does not succeed is because of misalignment, either misalignment of the founders, you know, one founder wanting to go in one direction, the other founder wanting to go into the other direction, misalignment between founders and investors, misalignment between investors, basically misalignment. Because if you've got a solid team that can create alignment, you will be able to maneuver yourself to, to survive, I believe. It's when you start having misalignment that things kind of go bad. So if I had, you know, one thing that I've learned is that alignment from the top all the way through the organization is super important. Yeah, that's a really good piece of uh, insight and piece of advice that, that I think, you know, is obviously really hard to nail, but uh, I, I think you, you know, you got it, obviously. Um, so a few years later, you were actually back at it uh, as an entrepreneur and you launched Tungle. And I actually remember using Tungle quite a bit. So, but can you tell us a bit more about what it is and what motivated you to sort of step out of the role at Innovatech um, and launch this startup? So actually, before Tungle, what ended up happening is when I was at Novatech, so my first startup, you know, I was really managing an R&D team and understanding how to build technology and so on. So that was really good. Then I went in as a VC. So I learned the financing, like the, the funding part of it and board management side of stuff. One part that I wasn't yet really familiar with was the front side of the business. How do you do sales? How do you do marketing? How do you, you know, build that side of the business? So what ended up happening is actually before even doing Tungle, I had I was responsible for an investment at Novatech of a company in Ottawa called Nimcat Networks, which was in the voice over IP space. And I actually joined that company as VP of product management, sales and marketing, NBD. <laughs> so everything that's not uh, R&D. And long story short, two years after joining that company, we sold it to Avaya. So in that two years period, I learned quite a bit on sales, marketing, and, and product management. So, you know, after doing that exit, I felt that I had all the tools needed to be able to start something new. So, you know, I had from the managing R&D experience, from raising funds to the front side of the business, the sales, the marketing side of stuff. So with that, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to, to run and start a business. And I had an idea at the time. And you have to think about it, it was like 2005, where times were very different, where Google Apps was just really started. Google Calendar had just launched. Exchange was still the primary system in businesses with servers inside, in-house and in business. So at that time, I always realized that when, when I had my first startup, when at Nimcat and when I was on the board of different companies, when it grew to about 15, 20 people, people ended up having to get an exchange server in uh, just because they wanted to better manage what was going on in the enterprise. So I was like, hey, this is kind of stupid. The cloud is coming. So why don't we build kind of an exchange server in the cloud, kind of a Google Apps thing? So that was kind of my primary idea. And then I started with that. But before even doing any piece of code or even building a team or incorporating any company, I just started to talk to as many people as I knew saying, hey, here's my idea. And from conversations with different people, I realized that people were getting exchange service, uh, exchange servers in their businesses because they wanted to do calendar sharing. 
So I was like, oh, okay. So why don't I just focus on calendar? You know, when you're talking about product, why build everything when you could just focus on the key problem? So I said, okay, I'll focus on calendar sharing. But then when I started to talk even more to people, I came to the realization that it's not actually about calendar sharing. It's about scheduling meetings. So that's why people want to share calendars. You know, it's kind of obvious when you say it, but to me, it was like, oh, a revelation. Um, and then from there, I went, oh, well, you know what? You can start sharing calendars on Google Calendar and all that, and that's great. But what about scheduling meetings with people that will never give you access to their calendar? And that's where the idea of Tungle really started. Uh, so with that problem, uh, the company was started. That's awesome. I, I love the the approach of working the way down the funnel. I know you said it sounds obvious you know, now, but I think that the same process still applies to the way most startups should be approaching you know, building a product. I, I think so. I mean, it, you know, talking to as many people as possible and trying to peel off the, the different parts of the onion to really get to the core of the issue you're really trying to solve, I think is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And so Tungle actually had some pretty major growth. What were some of the strategies and, and sort of tactics that you guys leveraged to grow so quickly? You know, the, the benefit of, of scheduling service is that it's inherently viral because you're, you have to schedule meetings with other people. And so what we wanted to do was to build a service so that if you're using it and you're scheduling meetings with other people, the people that are on the receiving end find the experience so smooth and so great that they want to have it for themselves. So we really focused on, you know, if I'm inviting you to a meeting uh, and we're trying to schedule a meeting, for you that has never heard of Tungle, your experience has to be like stellar. And so we really focus on the internal virality first. So so we had metrics up our wazoo as to, you know, a number of meetings sent, conversion rates, uh, meetings that are being booked, you know, one-to-one meetings, one-to-many meetings, how many meetings are people are being sent. So we were measuring everything and looking at how we can improve our conversion rate. And so when we started, uh, you know, to give you an idea, maybe one out of 20 people invited to meetings would convert to start using. At the end, we were at 40% conversion, actually 45% conversion. So almost one out of two people that never heard of Tungle that were invited to meetings end up becoming a Tungle user. Uh, so that's where we spent a lot of our time. So it was pure product, you know, not marketing. It was none of that. It was pure product. It's only when we start to hit numbers, I would say, north of 30% conversion that we actually started to do PR. And at that point, it's actually much easier to start doing PR uh, because you've got users that are vouching for you. You've got your growth. You've got all that stuff. And so you're not, you know, uh, taking your sword and, and, and hitting water, you know, you're actually have substance behind your PR activities. So that's how we, we built our growth. That's awesome. And so Tungle was actually then later acquired by Research in Motion, the, the people who make BlackBerry. So what was that acquisition process like? And what was your role within uh, Research in Motion following that acquisition? To be honest, I don't know how they came to the table. They came to us. I kind of have some ideas, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure if that was the things that triggered them to come to us. Um, but we had, um, you know, mobile was becoming really, really important. So we launched iOS app and we had launched a BlackBerry app. And in the app store, in the, in the BlackBerry store, our app was getting downloaded a lot. So, you know, it almost doubled our user base in a month just by the fact that we were in the BlackBerry store. Um, uh, so they, that may have had some alarms at BlackBerry. I don't know for a fact. Okay. Um, so, but at one point they came to us and say, Hey, this is really interesting what you guys are doing. We want to learn more about it. And then the conversations led to, you know, bigger conversations. And, and that's how the acquisition kind of happened. Once we, we joined BlackBerry, our objective was to integrate 
Tungle into the BlackBerry ecosystem so that if you're on a BlackBerry and you want to schedule meetings with people that are not on your exchange or on your Google services or whatever, you'd be able to use uh, Tungle for that. But what we quickly realized is that there was a change. Like when we were acquired, there was still the the two founding co-CEOs, right? Uh, Jim and Mike. And quickly, a couple of months after they left and the new CEO came on, and there was kind of a shift where people started to say, you know what, we don't care about BlackBerry OS, we want to start building everything on BB10. So I quickly realized that even though we may integrate with BB OS, it makes no sense to actually do that because BB10 will be the next platform. So I went and, and started to look, okay, where is the calendar team that is working on BB10? And surprisingly, there was nobody building a native calendar on the BB10 platform. So I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do for the next couple of years? Because <laughs> we're supposed to integrate with a calendar. So I went back to my team and I said, hey, guys, why don't we do the following? Let's do a stealth project and build a native calendar on BB10 just for the fun of it. So we started in stealth mode trying to build a, a calendar on BB10. You know, after a little bit, this got known internally that we were building that and people started to look at what we had built and they were excited about kind of how we were building stuff or approach, which was kind of a bit disruptive in how calendars were being looked at. And so we then became the calendar team for BB10. And then from there, they asked me to lead PIM, which is you know, calendar, email, contacts, and task and memos. Uh, so I led that from an engineering and product standpoint until the launch of BB10, which coincided with my two-year anniversary uh, post-acquisition, and then I took a year off. That's amazing. Um, so you fast forward to today, you're currently the CEO of FOCO, a private sharing app for retail teams, which you actually previously did an angel investment round in. So can you tell us a bit more about FOCO and what really motivated you to invest and then become their CEO? So when I first invested, I had no intention to join the company. What I liked about the company as an investor, as an angel investor, was the simplicity of the solution and the application could be really, really wide. So FOCO is a photo sharing app, but for business. So think of Instagram for an Instagram, but for businesses. And I found that super appealing because there have always been huge successes in the consumer world. And it's just a matter of time that these consumer behaviors get adopted into the enterprise. So I looked at, at FOCO and I'm like, hey, there's got to be already someone doing this. And I looked around and I looked around and I looked around and talked to people that I knew from different parts of the world and nobody had found or knew of a company doing an Instagram for business. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. And at the same time, I really liked the two founders, uh, Eric and, and Colin. So with all that, I said, you know what, let's make a bet. So we, uh, myself and another angel, we invested a little bit of money in FOCO and uh, Eric and Collins just kept on building the product and the technology. In the summer of 2014, uh, that's when they officially launched the product and it started to get some real tractions, like with companies like Whole Foods, with public companies like Maxim Integrated, which is a semiconductor company. And so at which point, uh, you know, I turned to Eric as a, as a angel investor and I, I said to Eric, which was the co-founder at the time, Eric, I think you need to go into fundraising. Like you've got some traction, you've got a product, uh, you need to raise a seed round now. Like you, you can't just be the two of you building this thing. Like you got to build this into a real business. And that's when Eric basically turned to me and said, you know what, we've been kind of working together for the past year, Mark. Like I think we'd be a good team. So why don't you join? And I had been on a break, uh, you know, on a sabbatical, if you want, for a year. And 
and my wife was tired of seeing me at home. Um, and the opportunity just sounded right to me. Uh, so I joined the company. And then since then, we looked at our different markets and realized that the retail space is really the one where we need to spend all our energy on, uh, which is what we're doing. That's amazing. So you've actually invested in several amazing companies besides Foco, and they include OmSignal and Quiz.io. Since you've been on both sides of the table, what advice or tips would you have to share with other entrepreneurs who are looking to raise that uh, initial seed round? I think too many times, I think entrepreneurs focus on raising money as opposed to surrounding themselves with the right people. So what I would focus on, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur is more like, okay, this is the business that I want to be in. This is the industry that I'm focused on. Who are the right people that I want to bring around me to help me build my business? And what will happen naturally is that as you're talking to these people, because you want their insights, you want them to get involved either as advisors or just mentors or whatever, they will have an inclination that they're going to want to be part of this venture with you. And they will know other people that will say, hey, maybe this person will be interested in investing and so on. And to me, that's probably the best approach. So focus on who do you want to work with uh, as opposed to the money part. The money part will come naturally if your value prop is good. And the only way you get your value prop good is if you talk to people that know more than you do in a specific space. Those are amazing insights. So how do you actually approach building a B2B product like Tungle or Foco? And, and what are some of the major lessons learned in this space over the years? I think it's very similar to what I, you know, what I mentioned in terms of surrounding yourself with the right people is that, yeah, once you have an idea or you have an inclination of doing something in a specific industry or space, go talk to people about it. Don't worry about having your product polished. Go talk to them, not as a sales pitch, but more as a, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what here's what I've got. What do you think? Where am I good at? What am I not good at? What do you think is the value? Um, where do you think I should focus on? And then from there, customers are going to naturally come from those discussions. You're going to learn a lot more. And so that would be, you know, my my insights. And I think it goes from a consumer play to a B2B play to a business professional play. So, uh, you know, focus on having the discussions with people that understand the space that you're in. And then from there, you know, start building the team around it, the technical team first to build something solid so that then you can delight your customers and once you're delighting your customers, then use those case stories to delight some other customers. And then from there, uh, you know, build a very solid business. So what's next for you and, and Foco in 2016? You know, for us, it's all about building our business. You know, we I'm a strong believer that Foco has tremendous potential even beyond just the retail space. But I think that there's just so much room and opportunity in the retail space that we're going to be focusing on that this year and really nailing it so that, you know, retailers, it becomes a no-brainer for them to start using Foco for their communication needs. And then as we gain momentum in there, then it's taking our platform and having still our big vision of going beyond just the retail space to other industries uh, so that it can be really a good success in the uh in the uh, auto market. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have to keep an eye out on, on what you guys are, are up to because you guys, uh, like, like, like you've mentioned so far, you guys have some great momentum uh, already under the sale. So it's awesome to see what you guys are building. I appreciate it. And it's about execution. So we, gotta, we, we have to continue executing. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the most recent apps you've, you've downloaded or used you know, on, on a personal or professional level? So it's going to sound weird, but so I'm a married guy, uh, but the latest app that I've downloaded is an app called Tinder. 
just <laughs> because uh, it, it was this big, you know, I'm hearing a lot about it, but what was intriguing to me is about the interface. So I, you know, I downloaded t- Tinder to understand why are people so addicted to it and how can this be applied to our business? And so it was more as a research thing. Um, and most of the apps that I download is really about understanding what gets people excited about a service. Uh, so the latest one was Tinder, not for personal use. I swear, I swear, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was really to understand how people can get hooked to it. That's amazing. I, I've never actually downloaded Tinder on my end, but I, I've, been able to, I've, I've used my friends a couple of times and yeah, it's definitely a simple interface and I can yeah. definitely see how addicting it is. Yeah. So do you have any recommendations on great content that you've uh, come across lately, either books, videos, or a really good blog post? My Bible, in terms of a, a book that I, is my go-to, that I go back to every year and I reread it. So it's not a recent, it's not new content per se, uh, but I think one, it's one that remains relevant is the book Good to Great from Jim Collins. I think there's some really valuable principles in there or learnings about what it is to be a leader, how it is to focus on core essential stuff, the hedgehog concept, and so on. It's always good to remind yourself out. So, you know, my recommendation as a book, it, you know, when I, for me, it has always been good to great. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great read. So you've already shared a, a ton of insights, but do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that, that you live by and you think other people should know about? I don't know if other people should know about, but, uh, you know, one thing that for me, I try to remind myself of is the motto that I call think clearly. It's so easy to get wrapped up into believing your own or you know, drinking your own Kool-Aid and believing that your thoughts are the ones that are right. But it's the ability to think clearly and, you know, get rid of all the crap and the noise around people's opinions and so on and get to the core essence. You know, some people call it first principles. Uh, I call it think clearly. So there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to interpret it. To me, that's the fundamental thing about making the right decisions because what, a, you know, an entrepreneur, we make decisions based on the best information that we can have at the time, but that information grows really quickly. And so assumptions that we made can be proven disvalid very quickly. And so how do you not get emotionally attached to some of the decisions and agree that you will make mistakes? but then can rectify those mistakes really quickly by thinking clearly and saying, hey, it was the best decision that I made at the time, but with the information that I've got, here's what I think the best decision is moving forward and not be attached by the past. So for me, the, my motto is to think clearly. That's a great motto. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, speak with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time and I appreciate the invitation. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.